Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey, this is Mark, and we've got another episode of With Flying Colors. I'm thrilled to have Vin Veaton here with me this morning. Hey, Vin, how are you today? I'm great, Mark. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Well, you've been on a couple other episodes of With Flying Colors, and Vin is a commercial lending guru, formerly of NCUA and other places. But Vin, could you kind of introduce yourself for those listeners who may not have listened to our previous chats? Sure. I was a commercial lender in New England for good 30 years where I worked for, thanks to the 90s, there was a lot of changes in bank ownership. So I worked for a number of banks and exposed to a number of good credit systems, including large regional banks. So that was very helpful in developing a knowledge for commercial lending. Then I had the opportunity to start two commercial loan departments and two community banks. So that was a lot of fun. I got to work with a lot of small and medium-sized businesses and learn the importance of providing a good, valuable commercial lending service to those businesses and because of their importance in their local communities between the economic activity they create and also the employment they provide. And then I had an opportunity to go to work for one of my customers, a large ready-mix concrete company. Those are the guys who deliver concrete to the job sites. He was located in three states. He had about 300 employees. So I got to get a feel for what it's like to be a borrower. Because I managed his banking relationships and leasing relationships. And that was, again, what that taught me, again, is how important small business lending is. As this, as I said, this business had 300 people. And he used to say, I have to feed 300 families every week. So it really does reinforce how important and rewarding, actually, to provide commercial financing the right way to a business. And then after that, I had an opportunity to go to work as a regulator. So. I've now been a lender, a borrower, and now a regulator working for the NCUA, where I spent the last 11 years of my career. I retired in February of 2021. While there, I was able to take that experience as a lender in good and bad times, a borrower working for that ready-mix concrete company and get involved with providing commercial lending expertise to the agency and to credit unions. A couple of things I was involved with that I really enjoyed at NCUA was working on the taxi situation and helping to write guidance. And then ultimately, I think the most important contribution was the principal author on the rewrite of the Part 723, the commercial lending regulation. So it was a lot of fun. I felt very fortunate to end my career having an influence actually nationwide, helping credit unions who I have a strong affection for because of your purpose of serving members and making sure they get the best financial services. Very good. Yeah. And as you said, you were the principal author of NCUA's current commercial lending rule, which was more of a principle-based rule. We've talked about different parts of that rule up until this point in time, global cash flow being one of them. But today's topic is going to be rating credit risk, right? Is that what we're talking about today, Ben? 
That's what we're talking about today. Very good. Rating credit risk. Rating credit risk. So going back to the regulation that you were the principal author of, why did not make it a regulatory requirement to have a credit risk as part of policies and procedures at credit unions? It was interesting, Mark, because when we were writing the rule, we had had a conversation with our regional lending specialists to say, what do you think the percentage of credit unions are using a credit risk rating system? And they said probably a little over 50%, which reinforced that it's important that we discuss and make it a requirement to have a credit risk rating system. Rating credit risk is a standard practice, accepted practice in managing commercial loan risk. All the other regulators focus on it. And that's not the reason to do it because other regulators do it. But since it is the accepted practice and those of us who were involved with commercial lending in the past knew how important it was in monitoring risk. Another reason why it made sense is what we had noticed is sometimes boards were not as informed as they should be at the level of risk in the commercial portfolio. So that just reinforced why it was important that credit risk rating system be put in place. As as part of the new rewrite of 723, we required the board to be reasonably informed in a reasonably timely way of the level of risk in the commercial loan portfolio at the credit union. I don't think there's any better way. And it is, again, I'm going to keep saying accepted practice. It is the accepted practice in the commercial lending world that you inform those responsible for the risk in the department of the level of risk through a credit risk rating system. So it only made sense that we felt overall credit unions with over 50%, that was an anecdotal survey. So there's sure, sure. science to it. But since over 50% had been using them, it probably was the right thing to do to make sure there was a common practice in the industry. So it made sense to make sure that all credit unions focused on that and that it would help the board fulfill its obligation to know the level of risk in the portfolio. So let's speak to what's in a good credit risk rating system. So we established the concept that you should rate it, right? right. You do it A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You do high, medium, low. Can you walk through how what the reg requires and like what the options might be? Because the regs are a little less prescriptive in some areas, but can you speak to what prescriptiveness there is relative to how to do this as it relates to the regulation? Sure, I will. But I want to make one more point, Mark, if you don't mind. Absolutely. To be effective, the risk rating system should be accurate at all times. Reason Again, being reasonable, if something happens with a borrower and you don't hear about it for a few weeks and there's no way you could have known, that's fine. But each credit should be rated at inception. And then ongoing risk management through site visits, regular submission of financial information, annual review of the credit, and third-party reviews, there should be additional confirmation of the risk. And if the risk rating changes as a result, then that should be reported to the board. And I'll talk about this a little bit later in the discussion, but well-applied, accurate credit risk rating system really ensures that all your risk monitoring systems are in place. Because as I just said, the initial underwriting has to be thorough and comprehensive in order to be accurate when you first sign a risk rating. And then again, that regular risk monitoring has to be in place to ensure that the current rating is accurate. 
the ongoing risk monitoring, you reminded me of my early days at NCUA when I was an examiner and then a problem case officer. NCUA used to send people that they wanted to learn about how to review commercial loans to the School of Banking of the South at uh, Louisiana State University. First time I had crawfish, we had a crawfish boil on Sunday. They flew in, you had the crawfish boil. Monday morning, you met a gentleman named Willie Stotts, S-T-A-A-T-S, and he was a professor of commercial lending at the School of Banking of the South. I remember Willie up in the front of the class talking about when he was a commercial lender and he had to foreclose on a chicken farm. There were chicken running all over the place and they had to figure out how to keep the chickens healthy, how to feed the chickens. And he was contrasting that day, the difference between making a car loan that you measure the risk on the front end, other than making sure that they have insurance. It's not a high maintenance type loan after you grant that loan. And he was contrasting that for the students the first day that this is not one and done. It's not you approve it and you move on. And so as you're explaining that you're going to want to do the credit risk rating, you're going to want to understand it based on the financials. And maybe it's low risk at one point in time and stays that way, but it might transition to another. So I'll tell you a quick story. I can remember back in the 90s when the world was upside down and we were very actively monitoring risk on all accounts. I called one borrower, let's say a Wednesday one week and had a conversation with him. Everything seemed fine. And then on Monday when I was driving to work, that time I was the bank that was owned by a foreign concern. So nobody was comfortable that they had a job on my way to work on Monday. I noticed that store that he was the landlord of was empty. <laughs> and of course, I panicked. I just talked to him. I should have known this was happening. Well, anyway, I went screaming back to the office. And that was before the days of texts and emails and everything else. And I left him a message. And he called back a few days later. And he said, oh, Vin, don't worry. I told you I would pay you. Don't worry about it. But my tenant moved out. And so I felt better, but at the same time, I quickly went in and downgraded it, that credit and put it on the watch list. So had I ignored that, then I wasn't responsibly monitoring the risk associated with that credit. And we got paid in full, and that's where character comes in. He knew he owed the money. He was going to pay it whether he had income or not So from the property. So that's the sort of thing you need to recognize. And a good lender is out there visiting with their borrowers. And a good lender... You just develop a sense over time. You can walk into a business and just feel something's not right. Especially, I always tell this story, if you go into a business at 11 o'clock and the individual says, oh, everybody went for an early lunch because nothing's happening, make sure you go back a week later at two in the afternoon to see if they're taking a late lunch. And if they're taking a late lunch, then it's time to have a conversation. That might impact where you have lunch and also your credit rating. Yeah, I'll tell you what, that was the best source of new business on the way back from lunch. You're passing a customer, or in this case, a member. I was a banker at the time. Stop in and say hi. You're going to find out a little bit about the business. And also, that's when somebody says, you know, I've been thinking about calling you. Well, great. Right. Yeah. Very good. So back to the regulation and what it requires, what it doesn't require. So let's talk a little bit about what a credit risk rating system is, how you might set it up, what the reg requires, what options they might have. I just dumped about six questions on you, but feel free to tackle any of them in any particular order about credit risk rating system. This podcast isn't to give you everything you need to know about credit risk rating systems, but just conceptually talk about what you should be thinking about and where you can go for some help. But again, like we said, we wanted the credit unions to know their risk at all times. And actually so that when the examiner came in and ultimately 
what we wanted was not examiners doing a credit review, which was happening. The examiners were reviewing credit as if as a credit review person. And that slowed down the examiners. They only got through a few credits and they had then form opinion about the whole portfolio and the quality of the portfolio based on that. So if they pulled two or three credits that they felt was were not well underwritten, well, then the examiner applied that opinion to the rest of the portfolio because that's the only information they had. So ultimately what this transition to requiring credit risk rating is to put the burden an aggressive way, but put the burden of knowing the credit risk on the credit union and the board of the credit union. And as I said earlier, if you have a good credit rating system, then you probably have all the other policies and procedures are probably in good shape and will support the credit risk rating. So that instead of reviewing credits, the examiner will come in and evaluate the accuracy of the credit risk rating system. So they're going to say, okay, this credit's rated, let's say a three. And then they're going to read your policy, what makes up a three, and then review your underwriting and risk monitoring to see if they agree or not. And there was an old rule of thumb that generally what the other regulators do is evaluate credit risk grades. And, you know, you want to be less than 5% of those that are reviewed changing. And that can be changed in either direction, in an up direction of you've upgraded the credit or downgraded the credit. So clarify that. Yeah. You don't want a change of more than 5% yeah, for, they, for what? So how, how- well, they looked at, well, let me do it with an easy number because I can't do math on small numbers. If 100 credits, you wouldn't want five of those credit ratings changed by the examiner, meaning- Changed by the examiner. Gotcha. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Where, where the examiner is saying, I disagree either because your rating system is flawed or it says that you would downgrade in these scenarios and you did not. Right. And even upgraded. And often you hear, and I'm going off on a tangent a little, but often you hear is, well, we're really conservative, so we don't upgrade. What we're talking about is we want accurate grades. They should be accurate. And being conservative, it can indicate also that you're shortcutting it. It's easier just to keep it at a lower grade than do the work to upgrade it. You really need to make sure they're accurate because ultimately what you should be doing also is analytics on the migration and trends of your credit risk grades in your portfolio. Obviously, if they're all moving to a lower level, and we'll talk about that in a minute, then you want to address whatever's causing that in the policies or even personnel. And if it's upgrading, well, the borrower should get the benefit of that. And also, so should you in your portfolio. I know you asked earlier about what should be in a credit risk rating system. I do suggest that everybody read the examiner's guide on credit risk ratings because that will give you a real good idea of what the expectations of the agency are regarding credit risk rating system. And often what you do see is a matrix. I'm from the old school that I like to see definitions that make sense for each credit grade. So let's say you have an eight grade system, a one should be defined to have these characteristics, a two, three, four, and then just go down. But what's really important is that there's qualitative and quantitative evaluation. And a matrix is very good for quantitative. That would be leverage, debt service coverage, that sort of thing. But the qualitative is how good is that management? Is there some competition coming in? that could impact this credit is that they just lose their top salesman who had been producing all the business. So I personally believe that the quantitative is the easy part. It's that qualitative. And that's where your skills as a lender come in. 
And so there should be, in defining these risk grades, some comment on the qualitative issues that should be considered. And so then if you use strictly a matrix to arrive at a rating, there's ways of using the qualitative process, certain management, your rate management, your rate market position, that sort of thing. But a lender should also have the flexibility to say, I know this rates as a three, but I'm going to make it a four because of whatever the following reasons are. So it's sort of like a picture, paint the picture, then take a stand back and take a look at it and adjust it the way you think it should be. Just be able to support the reasons you may be downgrading it or upgrading it based on what a definition may be. So a top grade would be what? A top grade, number one, usually is cash secured. What would it be called? A risk rating one. Okay, exactly. risk rating one. And the well, general numbers are used, but you can use letters. You can some kind of ordinal system that progresses through the level of risk. And typically, do you see one through what would be the worst? I think what you find for credit unions, seven to eight ratings, with one through four being pass ratings, meaning good quality credits. But you want granularity even in your past grades, so that if there's progression of downgrades, meaning all of a sudden a two is a three and you've got threes moving to four, you can pick up those trends earlier. So it's important to have granularity in the past grades. I used to think maybe you only really need one, but I've changed my opinion on that. That progression is very important. And with analytics available these days, it's even more important because you can really drill down on that. And then that's the past grades, and then there's the adversely rated. And generally, what we suggest, because NCOA talks about what the system should have, it doesn't specifically say this is what you should do or okay. this use this system. However, the adversely classified, those credits that are not strong, the best way, in my opinion, to manage that is follow the regulatory risk grades of substandard, doubtful, and loss. I was wondering, that relates back to when I looked at loans a long time ago. And the first commercial lending rule that went in place, gosh, 87, 88, created the piggyback off what the bankers had created, substandard, doubtful, and losses. It's a proven system. There's plenty of support for it, which we'll talk about in a minute. Unless you can come up with a better one, and I don't think I've ever seen a better one because most credit unions use that standard. And Although the, it's not stated clearly in the guidance that that's an acceptable way to do it, it does indicate that's a good way to go. So we've got one through four, and we just did six through eight. And then there's that five. What is that? And although watch list is not technically a risk grade, it generally falls in that four to five area. And what a watch list is, obviously, there's a, you've got a credit. Something's happening with that credit or customer borrower. And where the rating could change or move most likely in an adverse direction. And you just want to keep an eye on it. Generally, that's called the transition rating. And always used to use something's going to happen within the next six months, but that's not carved in stone. So you've got your risk rating there. And when it slips into that category, is the credit union reevaluating it more frequently? You kind of like when your camel code goes from a two to a three, you're going to see NCUA every six months. When the camel code goes from a three to a four, you're going to see them every four months. Yeah, a borrower slips to a five. What does that mean relative to the yeah. level of effort that it's going to take for the credit union to watch that? Sure. And we're using five as an example in this discussion. Got it. Right? Example only, not required. Right. And the answer to that, Mark, is yes. You're going to be looking at it more often because you've identified some issue. Either they've lost a big customer 
There's new competition in town. There's a list of things, but you want to see how the business responds to whatever this issue may be. I was going to say threat, but that's a strong word, but something that may have an impact on their business. And yes, you'll probably visit them more often. And along with that, when there's a watch list, you should have a plan associated with it, how you are going to monitor it. So there should be a plan, how often you're going to collect financial information, how often you're going to visit the borrower, and what may cause it to be downgraded to a lower risk rate. Got it. So we talked about adverse credits. Relative to credit risk, what would you like to speak to next, Ben? I just wanted to go over a few real important things that the agency identifies as important to be involved with, but be part of the credit risk rating system. It should be dynamic. We've mentioned this already, but if there's a change in that credit in a reasonable amount of time, the the lender needs to recognize that. And what that reasonable amount of time is, not an exact time, but considering the complexity of the credit, the risks of the credit, that should determine how quickly you should be identifying those issues. So that's really, really important that the response is, well, we haven't seen them in three months, so how would we know? That's really not a good answer. You should know your credits well enough to know who you have to see more often than three months and then every three months. The other reason, and when we were writing the rule, it really hit us being in the member service business how important it is to know the level of risk because we're in business for that individual sitting across from the desk, meaning the borrower, the member borrower, commercial borrower. And if you have an accurate risk rate, it means that you're actively monitoring the account. And if you see a issue developing early that could impact the business, you're really providing a great service to that borrower to let them know, we have some concerns here and develop a relationship where you can say that. Telling somebody something negative about their business is really important. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I think the best service that a commercial lender provides to their borrower at least once a year, they get a full financial review of their business for free while they're paying an interest rate, but no direct charge of their business. And so develop that rapport with your borrower that they respect your opinion and in a respectful way, discuss those things that could impact their business and are important to their business. So with the credit risk rating system, maintaining that and keeping it up to date and accurate, again, you're visiting that borrower, you know what's going on, and you can share your financial expertise with them if you see some trends that are of concern. The earlier you get them, the easier the fix. Sure. So trends in credit ratings, one of the things that NCUA and credit unions always are wondering how NCUA is going to approach it. It relates to the allowance for loan loss and lease loss, yeah. the ALLL, and how that relates to the commercial loans and how that relates to the credit risk rating. Is there anything you can share with the listener relative to how these credit risk ratings can play into the ultimately to the financials? And is there any best practices that you might suggest in that regard? This is not my strongest area, the accounting behind these things, but I know when Just I- Just from the common sense of what's doubtful, what's substandard. So when you're setting those reserves, and I'm not a CECL expert in how it'll apply there, obviously, if you're going to look at the buckets and see where the risks are and hopefully be very assigned proper amount of reserves for each of those buckets, and at the same time, as you get further into it, maybe you're going to be looking more for specific reserves to those credits doubtful and lost. 
you've identified all of those. And obviously, it's in order to set the proper reserve, you need to know the risk. How can you know the risk of the overall portfolio and individual credits unless you have some way to rate it? Sure. Right. Well, so going back to the contrast between seven column and the systems that were in place when you started in commercial lending and where it was at when you were last doing it and then helping NCUA. And there's MIS systems out there. There's QSOs out there that can cull data, every element, so that you can analyze those quantitative side of things. The ability to analyze that quantitative has gotten better. But still, as you said earlier, it comes down to the qualitative side of it. You need to understand what those numbers mean. But over your career, were there aha moments relative to, wow, now that we can actually track this quantitative number, it makes things easier or better? That's a good question, Mark, and I probably won't answer it exactly as you asked it. Go for it. Yeah, answer it in any way that makes sense to you. And because what we do notice, this is where commercial lending is different. When you get into analytics of a consumer portfolio, you got loan to value, you got credit scores and praise values, which you can adjust in the overall portfolio to find out what bucket they fit in for risk. But with commercial lending, and this is what I always liked about commercial lending, you actually know, not that's guessing at the risk, but estimate the risk based on that use. And portfolio analytics, I support wholly. It's a great process. And the only way you're going to be able to manage the risk in a consumer portfolio. But here's the beauty of commercial lending. You actually know the risk of each credit. And then that's why I used to get in trouble. I used to say on speaking events, I think commercial lending is the safest lending you can do because you know the level of risk with the borrower. You have proper covenants. You can take actions to help the borrower. I know I don't look at covenants as a way to take an aggressive action against the borrower, but it gives you some leverage to sit down with the borrower and help them make the changes in their business. So with that said, now you can take the debt service coverage ratio, leverage, and everything else and put that into the MIS systems. Unless there's a consistent way to look at each one of those, the quality of that input is only good as the quality of the lender. So. It's not always accurate to say, all right, anything with a debt service coverage of under 1.15 or over 1.25, it all depends on how they looked at it. How did you get there? Yeah. But with credit risk rating, it's supported by the analysis. So that reviewer that goes in there is going to double check it and say, so if you're really looking at just migration of credit risk, hopefully all that underneath the underwriting, the monitoring and all that stuff supports that risk rating. So the risk rating itself tells you a lot. Got it. So I wrote down covenants too. That might be something, Vin, we can talk offline on this, but that might be an actual podcast that we talk about what are your favorite covenants that you've seen? What's the goal of certain covenants? Yeah, Yeah, I think that'd be a good one. It's just kind of do a deep dive, maybe a shorter podcast on that particular topic, but put that in your notes to remind me that we'll do down the road. Yeah, I will. Yeah, that's a good idea. Later this summer. Yeah, Yeah, and then So credit union wants to improve their credit risk rating. They listen to this, or it's somebody who's getting thinking about getting new into commercial lending. What resources would you recommend that they take a look at? Well, there's four. Look at the preamble to the rules and what it says about it, what the part that's MBL commercial lending rule, part 723. Look at what the rule specifically says about it. That's one. Two would be the examiner's guide on rating credit risk or credit risk rating. And then there's two other really, really good resources. One is the interagency guidance on credit risk review. We, when I say we, I mean the agency, NCOA, 
was part of the group, the interagency group that wrote that guidance. And it does a really good job of discussing how to use credit risk rating system, how credit review should use credit risk rating system, how that should be reported to the board. So what appropriate components should be and and independence of assigning those risk ratings. So that's an excellent piece of guidance. And there's a preamble that goes with that too. It's always worth it. I mean, this stuff can maybe put you to sleep. If you read through it, at least you'll say, yeah, I know where to look for that. And when you have a question down the road or know where to look when you're writing your policy and your process. And then the Bible for rating credit risk is the OCC handbook on rating credit risk. Your question earlier, Mark, about what I've seen change in it, what I found interesting when I looked up the OCC's handbook on rating credit risk was written in 2001. Wow. So as I say, it's an accepted practice. Oldie, but it's a goodie. Yeah, they haven't been able to improve on that. That says a lot. So that would be a great resource. Right. And what that will tell you is, I mean, I just read off some of the, the table of contents, but these sections are really important. Functions of a credit rating system, expectations, the development of the risk rating system, the risk rating process, examining risk ratings, rating credit risk, and then the credit risk evaluation process, which includes financial statement analysis, other repayment sources, quantity. So it's just an excellent guide and beyond just rating credit risk, but commercial loan risk management process. Very good. Any last thoughts here before we wrap it up? And I give one more Willie Stotts reference from my LSU days of School of Banking of the South. Again, managing risk. I just want to say, because I get on my soapbox, if you manage risk correctly, not only does the credit union benefit by obviously having a stronger portfolio and, and less adverse effects from having a poor portfolio, which means losses. Again, the one who benefits the most, if you really care about what you're doing, is the borrower. Because you, again, I'm going to talk about a lender as a financial expert, and you're the financial expert on financing a business. A fully informed lender can then structure the best credit package for that borrower. And if you look at it that way, you're going to be sure to get all the information you need to make sure that you're recommending the right solution for that borrower. Very good. Well, and so Vin, on that Covenants future podcast, I'm going to connect that to my reference to the School of Banking of the South. When I was down there learning from some experiences that they had had, the teachers and Willie Stotts in particular had had relative to commercial loans that had gone bad, he told a joke about the fact that you need to control the draws on a commercial loan, that you need to make sure that you do inspections. And if you're giving them 10% to do X, Y, and Z, that you make sure that you have covenants in place and that you do different reviews. And his joke was a commercial loan gone bad would allow people to take that first draw and purchase a boat. And so they would take it and it would all be profit. The commercial construction people would get their profits. And he said down in Louisiana at the time, the most common name for boats of people in the construction business was first draw, that they took the money and they bought their boat. That's not how you want to do commercial lending. And sometimes you can learn from war stories from that. And I referred back to this class where I learned a lot of things early on in my career again. And you know so much more than that. You went into a much deeper level. But let's slot that we'll talk about a covenants on a future podcast. Vin, I want to thank you for your time today. For those listeners out there, I want to thank you for your time and hopefully we'll see you again or you'll hear us again. This is Mark Trichel signing off for With Flying Colors. 
Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktreichel.com. 